the rest of us, let's open up to First uh, Corinthians chapter one and also Acts chapter eighteen. But First Corinthians one will be our main text. I know we taught through First Corinthians when I first came here. We're going to go through it again. Repito. First Corinthians chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere around the seat back in front of you. You could raise your hand and a brother or sister will hand you one. <clears throat> awesome. Father, we lift up your word. We lift up um, just our hearts before you. We ask for the power and the presence of your son to just permeate us now. I want to thank you so much for just the lives that we are looking at in your scripture, the way you were faithfully leading, the way that your gospel goes forward, not necessarily in the easiest of circumstances, Lord, but through difficult circumstances, and how bright you shine, Lord Jesus, in people who are emptied of themselves. Lord, we ask that as we look at this uh, book of 1 Corinthians, Lord, that you would bring out the things that are important to our fellowship and important to our walk with you. And we just want to thank you for your faithfulness. We want to thank you for your goodness and your long-suffering and, your, and the joy that you have with us in bringing us to maturity in your Son. And we look forward to that a little bit more today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. First Corinthians, if we remember back in... Uh, 18, uh, Acts 18, I'm just, you don't need to flip there right now, but uh, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a, Jew named, uh, met a Jew named Aquila, and he had a wife named Priscilla. They were tent makers, and every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, and so he started this ministry. Paul was afraid, because you know, as well as I do, that every new city he came into, there was a new way of him getting persecuted. He just knew that that was right on the horizon, walking into the next city, knowing he's going to be rejected by some people, knowing that there'll be a riot or someone will stone him with rocks or beat him with rods or just what a, what a ministry, what a calling this apostle had. And the Lord appeared to him in the middle of the night, said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in the city. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for another year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. And we find soon that he went as he was in the synagogue that, uh, as he was teaching the Jews that they didn't want it, and so he basically left and went next door to Titus's house, who was a Gentile, and started sharing there. And all of a sudden, Crispus came to the Lord, the guy who had been next door. And then a guy named Sosthenes, who was the synagogue ruler. Uh, it seemed like when, they, when he brought Paul, along with other people, in front of the Roman council, and it didn't go well, the Romans ended up beating him. And what do you know? We flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Paul, he's writing a letter from Ephesus. This is several years later. He's in Ephesus right now, writing to the Corinthians, hearing a bunch of horrible stuff that's going on in the church. <laughs> and he starts on, it says, uh, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. What do you know? Sosthenes, who had brought Paul before the Roman council, 
got the snot beat out of him, and then turns out to be one of Paul's close brothers here in the ministry. Isn't that amazing how God works? Have you ever had people that like, you're just at odds with who were <laughs> against you, and then somehow some time goes by, and they come to the Lord, and you're like, are you kidding me? God saved you? I know people said that about me. You know, but I mean, isn't that great? The power of the Lord Jesus in anybody's life, and sometimes hardship brings people to Jesus, sometimes physical hardship in this case. Wow, what an amazing thing. And Paul says, he's speaking to the first Corinthians, and he he lays out very, very, at the very beginning, he says, uh, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Apostle means messenger, sent one. And when Paul says at the beginning of it, he's saying he's an apostle, it means that he's going to be doing some correcting. And that's not very fun. How many of you are looking for the perfect church? (laughs) Me too. (laughs) The perfect pastor, the perfect message, the perfect... You know, I I find very interesting that the, the New Testament, most of it is corrective. Did you not know that? Like he's writing to... It's like herding, herding cats. It's, well, sheep, actually. And they're just, there's lots of problems going on. Lots of problems. Corinth is going to be a major issue. And I hope that as we go through this, that you aren't thinking, you know, that Paul's picking on us, but we are influenced by a culture around us. There are things that have gone on in our lives or our families or in our church background. This, is, this, this little church is, they're suing each other. You've got people age check here. You got people sleeping with their mother-in-law or, you know, with their, yeah, mother-in-law. You've got just strange stuff going on. And Paul's jumping in here and going, okay, we need to have some, some uh, time out and we got to refocus and glorify Christ. And so here Paul is, he's, he's calling himself as an apostle. Notice it's not by the will of Paul, it's by the will of God. I am by what I am by the will of God. I love that. And he notice he says in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. The church, that word means uh, set out, set apart. It means uh, the called out ones. And it's a generic Gentile term, and it means, you know, everybody once said, hey, they're called out. They're, they're, you know, that's a gathering of people. And notice he says, it's not just an ordinary gathering, it's the church of God. It's not a building. It's people who have been called by the Lord. That's what the church is. People have been called by the Lord. And by the way, this one, this happened, this group of called out ones is in Corinth. And to those sanctified. And how many of you have saints in there? To those saints. Same word. Sanctified. It means holy. Hagios is the Greek word. You can take that and have fun with that this week. But that is the word for holy, set apart, something that was to be used for the temple worship. They would have known that as Jews, I guess. And, and it was set apart. It wasn't used for common things. That's what God has done with these people. That's what a saint is. A saint is a person who's been called out from the world and set apart for the work of God, for the devotion, the consecrated life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a saint. And so our brothers and sisters in the uh, Roman Catholic Church have that dead wrong. They elevate sainthood above what the scriptures called it. You can say today, I am a saint. 
Amen? I am a saint. What is that sainthood based upon? Is it based upon what you have done or what he has done? It's, what, it's all about Jesus. It's what he has done. He has set you apart. He has called you. And so be careful when you're reading words like that. They're packed with a bunch of meaning that isn't necessarily biblical. And this is just saying, hey, they're sanctified. They're those set-apart ones in Christ Jesus. And that is how a person is founded in Christ, under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and called to be his holy people. They're called his holy people. Same word, holy, is sanctified. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so guess what? Being a part of the church doesn't mean that you're just a part of Christ Community Fellowship. The church is actually meeting right now in many different places all over the world, across the street. Amen? We're part of those who, what? Call upon the name of the Lord. That word call upon, it just means he, they put his name upon you. When Christine and I got married, she put my surname, my last name up upon her life. Does that make sense? When we receive Jesus as Lord, when he comes in and he changes us, we abandon our earthly titles and all that we are, and we say, now I am under your lordship, your banner, your house, you rule, you are all that I am. Everything that you are is what I want to be. What you say goes. I'm not trying to define marriage, but I'm just, I'm just saying our, our relationship with the Lord, okay? That's a bad analogy there. But you know what I'm saying? All those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And notice, Paul is going to be dealing with a lot of issues, and in these opening statements, he's kind of laying some foundation. He's, he's, notice he's focusing on the unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what, is, what do you think he's going to be addressing if he's talking about the unity now? He's going to be addressing division. And so he's laying the, the, the foundation in the Lord. And notice verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to wonder what God would have towards you, if you were just sitting there and say, if you could have a, a message from the Lord, what do you think it would be? What do you, how do you think it would start off? What do you think he would say to you? I, wanna, I wonder... But I love this. Grace means God's goodwill and peace to you. That's awesome. God has grace to you. He has goodwill towards you. Did you know that? God desires his goodwill to be given to you, to overflow in your life, to surround you. That is his will, that you would experience his grace. And that you, after experiencing his grace, his goodwill to us, that you'd experience his peace. Grace and peace. And that's why it's always put in that order. You you do not have the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the empowering love of God through Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, what I notice is that Paul doesn't have very much good to say to this church, and so he's thankful about what God has done for them. Can you find 
you know, it's really difficult when you're dealing with correction or you're dealing with people that drive you nuts or, or things are going wrong to find good things about them. But you can always find good things about what God has done for them, amen? And Paul is searching here, and he's grabbing some very important things, and he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. And that is the only way we receive that goodwill from God. It is through Christ Jesus. It is not any other way. It is through Christ. I thank you for this grace that he's given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gifts, you don't lack any charisma as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. God had gifted this church. When you walked into this church, there were people prophesying, there were people speaking in tongues, there were miracles going on, there was word of knowledge, word of wisdom, which we will get to later on when we get into, you know, uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, or 12, 13, 14. Amazing. I mean, it was just a happening place. The gifts of the Spirit, charisma, was happening where we get our words charismatic, right? That was happening. Poured out upon them. Let me ask you, According to this, is this something that was earned? How was it given? In Christ Jesus by His grace. The fact that you have a spiritual gift is not an indicator of your spirituality or mine. It is an indicator that God is gracious. God is gracious. You know, I love the Old Testament picture of Isaac and Rebekah. Remember Rebekah? Abraham, Isaac's father, sent his servant Eleazar. We don't know his name in the passage, but later on it identifies him, which means comforter, by the way. He sends the comforter to a far-off land to get a bride for his son, who she will not see until she, after a long journey. And so this Eleazar, this servant, goes and goes to a certain place, and he's praying. He says, Lord, uh, when he gets to this place, if this person, if a person comes up, if a lady comes up and does this, uh, you know, feed my, uh, waters my camels and says this as well, then I'll know this is the one. And so as he's praying, this lady comes out and offers water, and says, like, wow, that was Rebecca. And, then in, and he's just blown away. God answers the prayer. This is the one, and he starts to pursue her, goes to her house, talks to her, the relatives, obviously, you know, and when she says yes, what does he do? He takes this, these gifts and he, and he clasps on, our, on her wrists and probably gives her a bunch of jewelry and all this stuff. And here she is, this bride who said yes to a person she's never met. And yet this guy named the Comforter gives her gifts and prepares her for a long journey back home. And so it is with the Bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit has come to us and brought the message of our husband, so to speak, Jesus Christ in heaven. Will you receive him? And when we say yes, what happens? The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. He gives you gifts. He gives me gifts. What is that? 
What's that based upon? Grace, God's goodwill, his good intentions towards us, his love. And so this church had received the Lord Jesus. They'd received the message. And Paul's saying the very fact that you are very gifted is a great testimony to God's grace working in your lives, not based upon what you've done because you guys are turkeys right now is what's going on. I love that. All kinds of speech, all kinds of knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait. Your eyes are fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to address spiritual gifts. They were messing up and they were, I mean, it was a madhouse when you went into their church. Do we have that problem? I love that quote by Tozer. I'd rather restrain a zealot than resurrect the dead. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Paul will will talk, talk to them. It's not about not having them. Yes, eagerly desire. Ask for. But desire above all these things love. And love does not cancel out the spiritual gifts. Love is the motivation for using them. We ought to go, oh yeah, let's have love and forget about the spiritual gifts. That's more spiritual. No, what he's saying is that we operate in love and using the spiritual gifts. They are for you. They're for the edification of the body. We'll get there. Sorry. In verse 8, he says, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to God sanctifying them, setting them apart, and making them holy, and pouring his grace and peace on them, uh, uh, in giving them and enriching them in every, all kinds of speech and all this knowledge and all the spiritual giftings that were upon him, in addition to all those blessings that God has poured out upon them and has poured out upon us, and we have yet to discover and to walk in. Amen? Amen? Amen. God. <laughs> no. No move of the Spirit. No, I'm just <laughs> eagerly awaiting for Lord Jesus Christ, right? But he will also keep you firm to the end that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is keeping them firm? Who's the one who gives the gifts? Who's the one who will be, uh, well, we're confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the late day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the one who's doing the work? Who's the one who's giving the gifts? Who's the one who's sustaining Amen. That's good. Or seven. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking around. Yes, amen. Jesus is sustaining. He will keep you blameless until the day of the Lord, the day of his return, the day when judgment will happen. He will sustain you. How many of you worry, worry about being sustained in him? How would you like to rest upon his promise to sustain you? How many of you feel like a Corinthian? are acting and living like Corinthians. Oh, there's no hope. There's no hope whatsoever. Oh, but we have Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who's powerful and mighty and faithful and who came and died and bled for you not to cast you off but to draw you close and he will complete it. 
And I just say, forget about the theology of predestination, all this stuff, and just embrace the goodness of God. Just when he says it, say, yes, it's mine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you will sustain me. Thank you that you will keep me. Thank you that when you give eternal life, you don't take it away. Thank you that it's based upon you and your goodness. Now, Lord, work it out in my life. Let, it, let the fruit of what, the reality of what you're doing work out in my life. He will keep you blameless. And notice verse 9 again. You might want to underline this, circle it, whatever you have to do. God is faithful. God is faithful. Think about the circumstance you are in right now, whatever you are facing. Do you have it in your head? Everybody? Now tell yourself, God is faithful. God is faithful. We need to know this. This is, what we, this is where we put all of our weight upon, all of our hope, all of what we are. Circumstances can be torn apart upon us, but we've got to fall on the faithfulness of God. No matter what is happening to us, no matter how our bodies feel, no matter what politically is going on, no matter what's happening with our church, no matter what's happening with relationships, God is faithful, and we lean upon that. We put our eyes and fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? He is faithful. And the enemy wants to come in and tell you, did God really say? Is that really what he said? And he comes in and he sows the lie. You know what? Away with you. Dark, foul being. Get the heck out of here because Jesus Christ is faithful. And what he says will happen. He proved it over and over again. Church, we need to rely upon the faithfulness of God. What he says is our life. More important than bread, Jesus said. Put everything upon it. When you read those words, when you read things like this, circle it. Put it in your heart, memorize it, and when the doubt comes in, call it back to the enemy. Call it back to the circumstance, whatever it is. Remind yourself of his faithfulness who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's called you into koinonia. He's called you into a deep relationship. And that idea of koinonia can be uh, a word for intimacy, physical intimacy in Jewish terms. It also has the idea of a community. What happens in a community? I was in Israel and there was a kibbutz. I don't know if you know what a kibbutz is, but it's uh, like a community of Jews. And they make amazing things like, uh, you know, you can swallow cameras and it takes video. It's like an inner drone. It's like fun. But anyways, they, you know, it's, it tracks your system. But they make these things. And well, how do they, how does, how does this little community do that? And they all have different parts, communism, whatever you want to call it. But the idea is that they're all giving and receiving what each other n- needs, right? And so we're to have fellowship, koinonia with one another. I am not the end all. You're not the end all. We have things, we have meanings and purposes, and when we're not using those things, the body suffers, right? Well, we've been called into fellowship with Christ Jesus in his body. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with him. He's calling you to engage. He's calling you to receive. He's calling you to give. He's calling you to have life with him. And now after Paul gets and, and lays all these, these wonderful foundations out. He says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, after laying down the, uh, the, the uh, initial reminders of who they are in Christ Jesus, that they are all under one banner, the Father's banner, who does he appeal to them? By? I appeal to you by our Father, by the Lord Jesus, by God. I, I appeal to you by this in which we were all united. I don't appeal to you based upon a survey. I don't ab- uh, appeal to you based upon um, what pop psychology says or what good-minded people say. I appeal to you by what Jesus Christ has revealed. We go to his word. How do we resolve differences in the body? How do we resolve division within the church? How do we resolve conflict within the church? We go to his word. When I start a counseling session with someone, uh, are you willing to do what he says? That's, that's, and if they aren't, then okay, have fun. You just continue on and have misery. But if you're willing to do what he says, if your heart is open, which I hope it is, and this is where I, I me too, we conform to what the Lord says. And Paul lays this out that, hey, we've been brought into one baptism, one Lord, one faith, and now he's dealing with the, with the problem of division in the church. How many of you like division in the church? How, many, how awesome was that so long ago when this church split? How many of you really still have pain from that? You know what I mean? And I know that time's gone on, but I mean, that is not of the Lord. That is not of the Lord when there's division in the body. Can we have disagreements, by the way? Of course. We can have disagreements, but what do we do with disagreements? We take them to each other and we take them to the Lord in prayer. And we say, what does God say about this? Am I off? Am I wrong? Moving forward, talking about, I'm sure we'll, we'll enter into some of this, this tonight and in, in the days to come about whether we sell or move on or whatever. You know, there might be some disagreements, but what, what's the Holy Spirit saying? What, what are the facts? What does the Word say about this? What, wrestling with that together, not just saying opinionated, you know, this is the way it is, but seeking the heart of God in it. And notice that what they were, they were dealing with. And he, and he lays out, there was division among them. They weren't united in mind or in thought. They weren't connected together, which tells me that the idea of, of, of a godly church is people who are united in, in mind and in thought and in heart and in action. We're united. Diverse, but united. Amen? Different parts, one body. And one head, Lord Jesus. Right? I'm appealing to you that you be united. and You don't be rent. You don't be torn is the word there. It's my brothers and sisters. Some from Chloe's house have informed me that there are quarrels among you. There's sniping going on. Some people are getting snarky. They're starting to fight with each other. There's quarreling going on. And now Chloe's house is the one who, who ratted him out. How do you think Chloe was accepted at this point. Chloe's house. Oh, Chloe's house. Great. Always telling on us. You know, Mrs. Holy and the crew over there. Was it wrong for, for Chloe to, to go talk to Paul? We don't know all the details, but was it wrong for her to go to Paul? 
you know, it's amazing. I, there, there are certain problems within the body, and I think as elders, we, uh, we sometimes, depending on who you feel comfortable with, someone will come, and s- come up to us and start talking about, sometimes it's very vague. I know someone who, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and they start going on. And I just go, now who is that? And who are you talking about? And have you talked to them? You know, I start out, we start out like that. But there's, there's certain circumstances where um, I think it's very important for people to feel free to come and talk to people in authority. And what happens is people in authority who are called to govern in the church, we go to the word in the circumstance. We have principles. There's a disagreement among two people. Someone's acting out of line. Someone comes up, brings it to us, doesn't talk to them. What we will do, depending on the circumstances, go, well, what does Matthew 18 say? What, is, uh, uh, what does Hebrews say? Um, these, other, these other verses that says, go to that person. Have you gone to him yet? Oh, I don't really want it. I want you to fix it for me. I, I understand that, but I think God might be growing you in this because you have a part in this body. And if it's bugging you, we're not going to abandon you. We're going to hopefully see the process through the end. But you go and talk to your brother or sister. Start with that. And if they reject you, then come grab two, then three. And you know how the process goes. But restore them gently. And quite often when they have that first conversation, there was a miscommunication, someone had a bad time. Oh, yeah, you're right. And God kind of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure probably Chloe did that stuff with the local leadership there. It is not wrong to come to a pastor or an elder when there's a problem. It is not. Because they're part of the solution. You understand? It's not gossip. You're talking to them, and they're going to point you to Scripture. Praise God. Right, guys? Amen. Elders. We're going to point you to Scripture. We're going to pray for you. We're not going to talk behind people's back. We're going to point you in the direction that would bring God glory Amen. We need prayer in this area. We're not perfect either. Amen. So this is a great thing. And because Chloe did this, 1 Corinthians is written, and now we are benefit, benefiting from that in our own lives. Amen. Thank God for people like Chloe who aren't going to go and tell everybody else what's going on and not talk to the people who actually can, can help bring some glory into the situation. You know, a, the Apostle Paul there. What a great thing that their household did. And so Chloe came and said, hey, I've heard from Chloe. Notice Paul doesn't say, I heard from someone. I, didn't, I heard from someone. He calls people and says, this is a family. This person said they were doing this. And we need to have that clarity. And no, none of this hiding in the shadows stuff when we're dealing with these things. My brother and sisters, some, verse 11, from Chloe's house, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, and Paul gets into the, into the details. One of you say, says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. And another says, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? You had a very immature, carnal church. And as with with all our natures, we tend to gravitate towards people and put them up on higher pedestals than what they've been called to. Amen? And therefore, when, um, you know, a pastor leaves, the church falls apart. 
right? And it's devastating. You know, and, and really, when you find a, a solid church is, a, is when you have leadership that is constantly pushing people in their actions and their teaching and their words to, to focus your hope, your trust, your future on, upon Jesus Christ and his word, and that is a healthy church. Now, does God call you, does he call me to honor those who are in leadership over us? Absolutely. Does he call us to respect and to take care of and all those things? Absolutely. Does he call us to worship them? No. Does he call us to have t-shirts with their name on it? No. Just seeing if you guys want t-shirts at all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. no, right? <laughs> that would sell for the wrong reasons. <clears throat> Let me tell you a little bit about what they're struggling with. Flip back to Acts 8, chapter 18. We're going to finish up Acts 18. Remember, Paul got a haircut. That's where we left off. He got a haircut, the Nazarite vow. After some, verse 23 of Acts, of Acts chapter 18, it should be up there, Terry. <coughs> Anyways, we can go through the Bible. Acts chapter 18, verse 23, is after spending some time in Antioch. Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place. So he's starting his third missionary journey throughout the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, verse 24, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Alexandria was an amazing place. Remember the Alexandrian library? It got sacked and burnt a couple times. They had to meet in a mini version of it. But that is where all the, the thinkers of the time, the great thinkers of the time were educated. It was, you know, it was the Harvard on steroids. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing place. Great learning was going on there. And this guy, this Jew named Apollos, what a great name. Apollos is going to speak now. A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus, and he was a learned man. That word learned means eloquent. It means he was, he was known. He knew the arts. He knew history. He, was, he knew how to speak really clearly. He could orate, and people would just be fascinated for, you know, 45 minutes. Do you guys know anybody like that? I mean, <laughs> just kidding. Trying to, no, it didn't work, did it? No, absolutely not. But, I mean, he would have just, you ever had those speakers, you're just like, wow. Look at the, I mean, can you, this is the command of the English language, or whatever language, right? Just look, the way that they phrase words, the way that they put words and sentences, it just, it know, you know how to provoke a person at the right time with the right word. You could stir emotions, you could convey thoughts, and you were drawing from history and pictures and all these types of things. I mean, Apollos. Awesome. Love that guy. Want him on my team. We had a thorough knowledge of scriptures, and he had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. He was a brother, right? And he spoke with great fervor. And no! Right? And everybody kind of, yeah, finally woke you up, huh? And he taught about Jesus accurately. What a great guy. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And notice he talks to him. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
How do you like that? A couple tent makers go to listen to Apollo talk, <laughs> Apollo's talk. He is captivating the room, and they're sitting here and listening, going, God's hands on this person. God is with them, but he's lacking in something. And so notice they stand up in the synagogue, and they say, hey, yeah, you, you know, that's great and all. However, you're, 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 you're missing some things, and I just wanted to tell everybody about that right now because we know a lot. We've been with Paul. What do they do? They take him to his house. They hang out with him. They develop a relationship. They talk to him. And they say, you know what? I want to give you a little bit more information here. You know, God's going to bring some pretty incredibly gifted people around you. And you might feel intimidated by them, but realize that gifting does not necessarily mean that they're the finished product. Amen? Just because they can speak well, just because they can communicate in awesome ways, does not mean that they are the end all. If anything, that can be a, very, a great hindrance to the power of the Holy Spirit working through a person. And I'm, I'm not bashing education whatsoever. I think it's wonderful. But you'll find with Paul, you'll find with Apollos, that their education was a hindrance in many ways for them to just be humble and, and focused on the cross and allowing the simple truth of Christ to flow through them. So we have to be aware of that as educated people or non-educated people. Be aware. And so Apollos is this amazing guy. And we're just going to quickly finish up this part. He went to their home, and they explained more adequately. And when Paulus wanted to go to Achaia, that is the, ration, the, the place where Corinth is, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to, there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So he's edifying the body. He jumps in there. God's using him. He's a great help. What happens when someone comes in and helps you out? What do you think of them? That's awesome. And you start to go, thank God, and you start to really like that person, right? And notice verse 28. He vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. This guy was just manhandling them. Bring him to the Scriptures and just blowing them away. Flip back over to 1 Corinthians. I know, this is kind of like spiritual exercise, huh? What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. The Apostle Paul, was he not awesome? His shadow would go across people, or what was it, his handkerchief, and people would be healed. Miracles are happening through the hand of Paul. He would talk, and people would, there was things happening around Paul. God used Paul greatly. And now, some say, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Can you imagine? I'm following that guy. I don't want, you know, Pastor Matt to baptize me. I want that guy to baptize me. Because he's got, like, he's got the stuff. He's got, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to, he, that's it. And you see how it creeps in? And what happens when Peter, remember Peter, he does these great miracles, and people start to fall down and worship him. What does he say? So what are you doing? He says, I am just a man like you. Worship God. <coughs> and so there was this elevation of these charismatic personalities within the body. 
and people naturally gravitate to them. And the role of the leader is to always deflect glory and to push it towards Jesus Christ. That's the role of us as parents. It's the role of, of us as workers. So finishing up, Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified with you, for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you baptized into the banner of my life? Were you baptized into the, into the name of Jesus Christ? I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. How many of you thank God that you didn't baptize someone? And Paul is thanking God that he didn't baptize any of them. Why would he do that? Because of what they were associating baptism with. It was wrong. They associated with a person and not the person of Jesus Christ. I thank God I didn't baptize you except for Crispus and Gaius. So none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. You can imagine Paul's writing out the scroll. He doesn't have backspace. And his scribe goes, oh yeah, you did that. He says, oh yeah, I did that too. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. And here's the thing. For I did not send, for God did not, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He didn't send me to baptize. Baptism isn't what saves. The gospel is what saves. He sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Is the gospel wise according to this world? Is the gospel, is it full of knowledge according to this world? And this is what Paul is going to get at. You're putting your emphasis upon education. You're putting an emphasis on the ability and the eloquence of speakers and the power of things that are happening in their lives. And you've got to remember <coughs> what brought you to Christ. The cross. The abandonment of self. The world's system says, educate, compound that, more, 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 more hierarchy you have achieved, more money, more status, more wealth. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong to have, but they do not make you born again. They do not make you right with God, nor spiritual. Actually, they make it more difficult, Jesus said. It's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they become idols in lives. And Paul will go on to say, how many of you were rich when you were called? How many of you were wise? How many of you have noble birth? And he starts to explain to them the heart of God. He starts to explain how God sees people and not how we see people. Why is it that the best and the brightest and all the most educated are leading the church? Why is it that you have to have 15 million degrees in order to, you know, be this or that? I have a degree. That's why I call it cemetery, not seminary. But why? What did the disciples have? We need men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be consecrated and set apart and surrendered to the Lord. 
And this is the thing. When God starts to use you, people will start to look at you as something. And what we need to remember, and we always need to remember, is but by the grace of God, go out, guy. Do you realize that the reason why you have that spiritual gift is by the grace of God, church in Corinth? Do you realize that the reason why you have those abilities and those people in your church that are doing those amazing things is by the grace of God. God's just goodwill and his love towards you. Let's correct that. Let's get our eyes back upon Jesus. Let's not have divisions and factions within our church and people that we like to, nothing wrong with having friends. But do we play favorites? Do we divide Do we say, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm this stuff, I'm that stuff? Or are we just under the banner of Jesus? Are we just under the banner of Jesus? And when Jesus says that's evil, we we agree. And when Jesus says that's good, we we say "That's, that's good. God, the gospel, and what he's getting to, and we're gonna finish now, is that man will never earn or attain salvation. This is the gospel, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and no amount of anything, any good deeds, adding up, and all this type of stuff can earn or buy the forgiveness of God. The only way a person is forgiven is through the cross of Jesus Christ, through faith in what Jesus has done, and that means this. I say, Lord, I, no matter with all my degrees, with all my education, with all my experience, with all my money, my bank account, and all that stuff, it means nothing when it comes to my salvation. Nothing. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. I simply have to surrender my life. Will you forgive me? We ask. That is how we receive it. And God is gracious. He has goodwill towards us. He desires to forgive us. He's the one who compelled us to even come to that place to say, forgive me. And that is how we receive salvation through Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. I have sinned against you, God. I've blown it and I have it. it's throwing through my veins. I can't do enough good things. I can't change who I am. None of that. I need to be changed from the inside out. And all I know is that you said you would give me a new heart. You would take away my sins. You would forgive me. You would make me your son. You would give me eternal life. You would pour out gifts upon me. You would bless me. You would put, place me in a body where I have purpose and meaning and calling and gifting. You, you, you. I surrender all I am for all that you have. Will you forgive me? And God says, yes, I've made the way through my son, Jesus. And when we do that, we become a new creation. And that begins the new life. And we walk in that simple dependence upon God. That's how we walk as Christians. That's how we walk. And so it's not about education. It's not about Gentile. It's not about where you're from, from California or wherever, what color your skin is. It's about the Holy Spirit, being a brother or sister in Christ because of his goodness. And the Corinthians living in that city with all these cultures converging, with all the worldliness pouring upon them and pushing and and changing and (coughs) they're being conformed back into the world or they're having to get the things of the world 
removed from their hearts and their lives. This is what the Lord's doing with us. How does it happen? We run into the word and the word cuts it out. So let him cut it out this morning. Run into the cross. Humble yourself. Say all that I am for all that you are. That job opportunity, I lay it down before you, God. That education I'm pursuing, I lay it down before you. If you don't want it, Lord, then it's not happening. Because you are Lord. If it's going to bless you and bring glory and help people, then okay. It's going to help me provide for my family and that brings glory to you, okay. You just lay it all down because he is Lord. Let's pray and then we'll move on. We'll finish this up next week because he really gets into some crazy stuff. It'll be shorter next time. Lord, we want to thank you so much for the power of your cross. Lord, your word says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. I thank you so much that you've made the way to you to attain it as simple as having faith of a child and just saying, forgive me, and I receive it. Lord, I ask that if there's a heart in here this morning that has not yet given their heart to you, their lives to you, is not surrendered in that way and say, save me, forgive me, make me your son, your daughter. I pray if that person is here this morning that they would receive you. that they would be filled with you. They would call out to you. And I always want to give a person a chance when I've been talking about the gospel like that. If any of you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ and you want to surrender now, just put your hand up and down. And we'll pray for you. <coughs> Don't worry about what people think. Worry about between you and your God. If that's you, just pop your hand up and down. And for the rest of us, Just allow what the Holy Spirit has laid out before you this morning to take root. May he make us one in him. And may his banner fly high above our hearts and our lives. And may we fix our eyes upon the author and finisher of our faith. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for your provision. Empower us this week to run and to fly in your name. Amen.